Please remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 43. I'm going to read some selected verses from chapter 43 and 44, as you can see listed in the bulletin there. beginning with chapter 43, verse 25. And we'll turn to the sermon text, which is in Acts chapter 3. Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. But hear now, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's. And name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. And skipping ahead to verse 21, the Lord continues, Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Amen. Now let's turn to the sermon text in Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. We're picking up in the middle of an account here which began with Peter and John in the temple and the healing of the lame man who went walking and leaping and praising God. And uh, Peter's sermon began um, in verses 11 to 16. We're continuing now with the second half of that sermon in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but... What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, 
and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Amen. You may be seated. In our house, we have four birthdays in, that fall in the months of February and March, uh, which makes for a pretty exciting beginning to the year. Uh, and now, now that we're past that, uh, the next one doesn't come until June, um, but the particular child who has a birthday in June hasn't quite developed a solid sense of time yet, and so she knows that her birthday is coming next in line, uh, but it's been a little hard for her to come to terms with the fact that it's not... Tomorrow, um, June, time measurement is hard. Um, I love that sense of anticipation that kids have about their birthdays, the way that they're looking forward, the way they're straining ahead, uh, so excited for that next step in growing up and that joy um, of those long-anticipated days finally getting here. Uh, once a year. And I think that there's something in that for grown-ups maybe to learn from. Because when you look at the Bible, through and through, from the very beginning, it is a future-oriented book. It is a book that is teaching God's people to look forward, to strain ahead toward the future until it finally gets here. And this is what we mean when we talk about the Bible being eschatological. As I've told you many times, the whole Bible is about eschatology. It's all about future things, last things from the very first pages. And as Peter proclaims the gospel here in the temple after that miraculous healing of the lame man, I want to notice here that he frames that gospel to this gathered crowd in eschatological terms, in terms of eschatology, of, of the, old, the eschatology of the Old Testament, of the prophets. He's teaching this crowd to see that in one sense, the end times anticipated by the Old Testament prophets have now arrived with the coming of Jesus. And yet, that in another sense, those 
last days the prophets spoke of are yet to come. They are yet to come in Jesus' return. But there's also a message for right now. And the message for right now is that right now these people are being invited to enter in to that end-time blessing promised by the prophets, and to do that how? By turning from their sin and trusting in this Jesus who stands now at the end of Old Testament history and the beginning of the promised age to come. And that's where these people stand at this moment. That's where Peter stands as he preaches this message. And that is indeed the heart of the second half of Peter's message that we're considering today, uh, which we're going to look at under three headings. First, time to repent, and times of refreshing, and then the time of fulfillment. So time to repent will cover verses 17 to 19. Times of refreshing will be verses 20 to 21. And then time of fulfillment, that'll be verses 22 to 26. All right, now similar to Peter's sermon in chapter 2, he goes on now after describing the facts of the gospel, the history of the gospel, to impress on this crowd the call of the gospel. And also like in chapter 2, he frames that gospel call in particular as a call to Repentance, a call to repentance. Remember that that, uh, repentance and faith, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, are like two sides of the same coin, two aspects of what we call conversion. Conversion is turning away from your sin and towards Christ in faith. And we have to remember that any gospel message that only calls people to faith without calling people to repentance is not a complete gospel message. It's not a biblical, apostolic gospel message. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that faith so-called, not accompanied by repentance, by turning away from sin, cannot be and is not true saving faith. It simply isn't. Because faith is not just assent with our minds to certain facts. It is the turning of our wills in trust and dependence to Christ, which always has to involve, it is a turning away from something else. It's turning away from our sin. Now, in the case of the people of Jerusalem, uh, Peter has been pointing out so far that they have become guilty recently of a unique and particularly serious sin, which is their complicity in the execution of Jesus. Just a few weeks before, really, at this point, earlier in the year. Um, He says, you denied the holy and righteous one, verse 14. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. That was from last week. And you can imagine kind of any storybook tale of of a villain who thinks that he's gotten rid of the hero for good. But it turns out the hero's actually alive. He's actually survived. And now he's more powerful than ever. And you think of that look of fear in the villain's eye. They know that they're toast. They know they've got it coming now. They're out of tricks. They're out of time. And now they can only wait for the final avenging blow to fall. Except except that that's not what Peter says is going to happen. 
That's not what Peter says to these people in the temple. He doesn't say, you better watch out. Now Jesus is coming for you. The amazing thing, starting in verse 17, is is the tone of mercy. The way that Peter's emphasizing here the, the great patience of God. Amazing patience of God. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. And then he goes on and he says, uh, uh, besides, um, as wrong as your actions were, worthy of judgment as they were, remember that this was all a fulfillment of God's plan. You were acting, you were acting ignorantly when you crucified Jesus, but guess what? God was not. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And that is why. That is why it's all the more urgent then that now, now that you've had everything explained to you so clearly, and now that I've shown you what a, what a ghastly mistake you made, but also what tremendous good God has brought out of it, now it is so important that you listen to me and that you do now, without further delay, what God is inviting and commanding you to do, which is to repent which is to turn toward that very Jesus whom you killed. And to know that when you do that, you will not experience his condemnation. He will not condemn you. He will will forgive you. I love the way that Peter describes the forgiveness of sins at the end of verse 19 when he says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Other translations say wiped out or wiped away. Look up the background of this word. The imagery seems to be of washing the ink off the surface of a piece of papyrus, which leaves no trace behind. It's not like when you use a, a pencil eraser and on a piece of paper and, and you can still kind of faintly read what was written there. No, the, the modern equivalent would be more like a wipe-off board, uh, but, but a brand new one with brand new markers, not the, not the kind that leaves the residue behind, the kind where you wipe it off and it actually completely wipes away and it's gone. It's like it was never there. That's the way that the Bible describes this full and free forgiveness of sins that God offers to everyone who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, Micah says. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Uh, You have cast all my sins behind your back, Isaiah 38 says. Uh, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us, Psalm 103. Or there's Jeremiah 31. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And most importantly, here's Isaiah 43. And also 44 that we read earlier. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. That was Isaiah's message. It is also Peter's message. So often, when we're dealing with each other, uh, 
when we forgive each other, we very often still hold a little bit of that offense in our hearts. Like a little record, a little artifact, a little bit of offendedness in reserve. And it lies there, latent in our hearts and ready, very ready, at a moment's notice to surface again if we're hurt again. We shouldn't. It's not true forgiveness. It's not godly forgiveness. But it's often the way we actually deal with offenses. And what the Lord wants you to know from Peter's message is that he is not like that. When the Lord forgives you, he really forgives you. That reluctance to forgive, that tendency to hold on to an offense and to nurture it and refuse to let it completely go because we know that's how we naturally are. I think we can sometimes project that onto God and imagine that he, he treats us the same way. But, but he says here, listen, when, when you turn away from your sin and you turn to me, I don't erase your sin with a pencil eraser and leave those little marks behind on the page. I wipe them out gone. They don't come between me and you anymore. Ever again, they are finished. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out by the blood of Jesus. Now, the forgiveness of sins is a very precious, very prominent gospel promise. It's not the only gospel promise. Forgiveness of sins is, you could say it's, it's not the last mile on the salvation road. It's the first mile. And there's a long stretch of highway beyond that. A lot more road, a lot more blessing that God has in store for forgiven sinners. And so, let's see what else is going to happen here if these people repent. Their sins are going to be blotted out, but look at what else is going to happen. He says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That word refreshing there is very uncommon in the Bible. This is the only time you find it in the New Testament. Um, I want to give you a few other translation options that some of the lexicons give, not because they're better, but because they give you a sense for the the type of refreshing that Peter's talking about. Some of the other words would be respite or recovery, breathing space, recovery of breath, coolness. I think the real key to what Peter's getting at here is to be found actually in the prophetic imagery of Isaiah, part of which we read earlier. Remember, Isaiah describes God as the one who blots out Israel's transgressions two times in chapter 43 and 44, very close together. But then what does he promise in between? It's across the chapter division from 43 into 44, but it's only a few verses later where he says, I will pour water on the thirsty ground. And streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Pentecost, just days before. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. 
If Israel will repent and turn to God, what is God going to do for them? He's going to blot out their sins. Isaiah is saying, and he's going to bring them times of refreshing from his presence. That's what God's going to do. That's what Isaiah was looking forward to all those centuries before. And Peter is evoking that imagery of Isaiah. And he's telling these people in the temple, do you want to be a part of that? That, those times of refreshing that Isaiah talked about. Do you want to enjoy the fulfillment of all of those amazing hopes that Isaiah set before you? And listen, if you do, Israel, there's only one place that you're going to find it. And that is in the Lord Jesus. It's in the blessing he has just poured out on the church at Pentecost. In Isaiah, that, that refreshment of the land is connected with the outpouring of the Spirit. What's just happened to the church. But who poured out that Spirit? How did that pouring out of the Spirit take place? Well, it was Christ who poured it out. That's part of Peter's message. That's why Peter can continue this thought then, building on Isaiah's imagery by saying that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, comma, Jesus. That is Jesus. So he's connecting here the, the coming of the times of refreshing with the coming of Jesus. How does that refreshment Isaiah spoke, with, spoke of come? It comes through Jesus Christ. Now remember, I've told you this many times before, referred to it at the beginning, that the eschatology of the New Testament is an already not yet eschatology. Use that phrase many times. The kingdom of God has come, Jesus says, and the kingdom of God is coming. The last days have arrived. The last day is coming. Or to put it another way, Christ has come. Christ is coming. Already and not yet. The healing of the lame man that started this whole scene is evidence of the first part of that. Oh yes, the times of refreshing have quite evidently come now. And you've just seen that life-giving, refreshing power of God at work, refreshing this man's body as his feet and ankles were strengthened and he went walking and leaping and praising God. But see, Peter's also teaching these people to look forward, to strain ahead toward the future times of refreshing. Because yes, Christ has come, but... He goes on, heaven must receive him for a while until the time for restoring all the things. Yeah. The times of refreshing, too, then, are already and not yet. And the message for Israel, then, is what does that mean for the present? What does that mean for your now? It means you need to repent now so that you can be part of that big picture of renewal both now and in the future for what's yet in store because the best is yet to come. We've talked about Isaiah, but Peter actually goes on to reach much farther back in Israel's history and, and in prophecy to prove that um, truly thoughtful Israelites, truly thoughtful Jews, should not see Jesus as some 
the kind of novel alternative that's come to them out of the blue, that's sort of out of sync with Old Testament religion and offering them a different way. No, Peter goes all the way back to Moses in Deuteronomy 18. It's the very end of Moses' life. Moses is not going to be around anymore. Uh, this foundational leader. How is Israel going to get along without him? And Moses tells the people, yes, I'm going to be gone, but guess what? The Lord is going to raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and when he does, you need to listen to him. Of course, in Israel's history, there were uh, many prophets kind of like Moses. To be a true prophet was to be a prophet to some degree like Moses, truly speaking for God. But, but none of them ever measured up to uh, Moses' huge biblical stature um, and significance. Every, every one of them could only ever be a partial fulfillment of that very pregnant promise that Moses had pronounced there in Deuteronomy 18. And Peter's point is, now the fulfillment has come. Now God has actually raised up the prophet like Moses that Moses was ultimately talking about. He's come now. And, and not just Moses, but all of the prophets, he says, who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him, all of them also proclaimed these days, these days, the ones you're living through right now, these days. And in saying that, Peter is really just taking his cue from Jesus, of course. Jesus, after his resurrection, remember Luke 24, how he opened the scriptures on the road to Emmaus? Um, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, all the prophets, Moses and all the prophets, it's the same theme. Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to those disciples on the road in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They were all speaking of him. All of the prophets, everything the prophets looked forward to, all of the future blessings that they held out to Israel as tokens of God's future grace. Peter's saying, this is what they were talking about. This that you're living through right now, these days. And you can see it all coming to life in this man that you see standing before you who just minutes ago was not standing and could not stand at all. But now he's walking and leaping and praising God. It's happening. It's really happening. And so what are you going to do about it? That's the payoff here of Peter's message. See, Peter's not communicating any of this. It's just sort of an interesting piece of information. Um, oh, that's, that's, that's cool, Peter. I didn't, I didn't realize how, that about the Old Testament prophets. I'm kind of interested in learning more about the Bible. Thanks, Peter. I wonder how often many of us treat uh, the new things we learn about the Bible that way. When we read it, when we hear something interesting in a sermon that maybe we never learned before, some neat connection. Oh, that's neat. That's interesting. See, Peter doesn't give these people, he does not give us that option. He says, you, you are unavoidably part of this history. Now. And this history that you are part of places a call upon your life that you cannot get out of. You are the sons of those prophets, he says. You are the children of that covenant that God made with Abraham. And, and so if what the prophets foretold is now coming true, if you're living through the fulfillment of it, if that covenant is entering a new era of fullness in your generation 
out of all generations. It's happening to you. You can't just stand idly by. You don't have the option of being a neutral bystander. It's impossible. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you. Verse 26. He's come. The future is now the present. And you're the generation who's gotten to see that happen. And the amazing grace of verse 26 then is that when God sent Christ, he didn't send him to condemn Israel as he might have done. He sent him to bless Israel, to bless you. But to bless you how? To bless you not on your terms, but on his terms and in his way. And here we return to where we began. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And here we're reminded yet again that the gospel call, as articulated by the apostles and by Jesus before them, was a call to repent, a call to turn to God by turning away from your sin. And if you want to be part of that blessing that all the prophets foretold, if you want to experience the forgiveness of sins and the times of refreshing, and if you want to know this Jesus that God has raised as a Savior and not as a judge, then here is God's message for you today. Let go of your sin. Turn your back on your loyalty to your desires, on your loyalty to yourself, to your pride and to pleasure and to power over other people and turn your back on your rebellion against God, the kind of rebellion that would make you crucify the Christ if God sent him to you. And let's not put that past ourselves as though we wouldn't do the same thing if we were in their place because that is naturally who we are. It's the way we're born. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one does good. Not even one. All have sinned and fall short, so far short of the glory of God. But, how does it go on? But are justified. They're forgiven and accepted. Their sins blotted out, wiped away by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who can take all of your failings and your folly and your guilt and can wipe it all away from the sight of God forever. Christ Jesus, who can take your brokenness and your discouragement and your disillusionment with life and your exhaustion and your sense of the emptiness of everything and can breathe into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord as a foretaste in your living present now of the future hope of a fresh and flourishing life with God in the new creation that he is bringing to birth. That is the message of Acts chapter 3. It's the message of the healing of the lame man. And the, the call then for us is really the same as the call for them. Christ didn't set all of those blessings, those amazing, rich, abundant blessings. He didn't set them all out by the curb 
for people to just drive by and casually pick them up if they want to or not without any kind of demand on their lives. No, Jesus came to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Repent, therefore, and turn back, people of God. That is the message. And so I ask you, are you turning from your wickedness? Do you think you have any wickedness in your heart? Are you willing to admit that? Yes, in the sight of God, I am a wicked person left to myself apart from Christ. You see that wickedness day by day in your heart. Are those are terms that you think, oh, I, I, have, I make mistakes sometimes. No. Do you, do you call it what it is according to the scriptures, rebellion against God, sin, wickedness? We've got to use these Bible terms to understand how serious it really is. And then we've got to ask ourselves, are you repenting then? Are you turning away from it? Are you rejecting it actively, repenting day by day and moment by moment, turning away from your sin and back to God? Is that your life practice? Is that what characterizes your life? Do not treasure your sin. Do not take care of it and protect it. Do not tolerate it. Do not make a truce with it. Do not live and let live. The very first of Martin Luther's 95 Theses famously says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That's true. Sometimes it's hard to repent. Sin clings very closely. Sometimes we feel like we're trying. We're not having much success. Just remember, when it is hard to turn away, and when your sin tries to convince you not to let go. Remember that to turn away from your sin means that you're turning toward Jesus. Jesus who forgives you. Jesus who refreshes you. Jesus who is holding out to you a living hope of blessing, present and future, that makes everything else that you might give up absolutely pale to nothing in comparison. And that is something to look forward to with unbridled anticipation. We put our youngest to shame, to strain ahead towards with all of our hearts. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, in obedience to your call, we do turn from our sin. We do turn away from our wickedness and turn to Jesus, asking you for your forgiveness, that you would indeed blot out our transgressions. And Lord, more than that, we ask that you would indeed send to us, even now and even more in the future, times of refreshing from your presence. We ask that you would send Christ Jesus to us from heaven 
so that all the things you've promised might come true. And Lord, teach us as we wait to strain ahead toward that great day. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.